Hello and welcome to BYU After Me Too. I'm Angela. Today, we're going to hear Sarah's Me Too story. When she was a freshman at BYU-Idaho, she was abused by a boyfriend. She does not go into detail about her sexual assault, but I will still give you a content warning. She's going to talk about how messaging from the honor code impacted her during and after the abuse. Here's Sarah. BYU-Idaho, and I had broken up with someone, and there was a guy in one of my classes who was a lot older than me, and I knew that he was interested in me because he had expressed his interest even while I was dating someone else, and so I broke up with this person that I was dating, and... I was just not in a good place emotionally. I was really sad. And this guy started pursuing me harder since I wasn't dating anyone. And without really, without really like putting much thought into it, like I just started dating him because he was really insistent and wouldn't take no for an answer. Um, so I ended up being in a relationship with him for several months and it was really hard for me to understand what was happening at the time. Again, this is my freshman year. I'm just this 18 year old who doesn't know a lot about life. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when, he did sexually assault me on a number of occasions. I felt like it was my fault because I didn't know the, the signs and patterns of an abusive relationship or an abuser. And in my head, I just kept thinking, why am I letting him do this? Um, and, and I did... I did say no, and I did object and everything. But at the same time, I, I still thought it was my fault because I just didn't, I didn't understand that someone, I had never experienced that. So I guess I didn't understand that someone really could be abusive in a way where even if I say no and then they still do it, it's not my fault. It's still their fault. Right. I don't know if that makes much sense. Yeah. But the honor code, it made this whole situation worse. Um, I think that, or at least I've heard and read about and talked with a lot of women who have been in abusive situations, they, they often blame themselves, just in general. But I think that the honor code makes it even worse. Because, for example, the first time it happened, 
well, I was out past curfew. And so in my head, I'm like, well, is this, is this my fault? Would this have happened if I wasn't out past curfew? Which is so stupid and really sad to think about now that as this young girl, I was blaming everything on me just because I wasn't following curfew or I was with this person alone in their room. When really, I tried not to do, do those things either, but an abuser isn't going to, I mean, just like they ignore consent and they sexually abuse someone, he wasn't going to, he didn't care that I didn't want to be out past curfew. So I blamed it on myself, even those things, when it really wasn't me. And so I think the honor code just exacerbated the, the shame that I felt mm-hmm. and the blame that I put on myself. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense because I feel like there are all of these rape myths that are out there. Like if a woman is dressed a certain way, she's asking for it. If she was drinking, she's asking for it. And I think within the church and in church schools, we have our own like many versions of those rape myths where like, and it's things like what you mentioned, like if they were out past curfew, they were asking for it. Or if they were in someone's room, they were asking for it. But in reality, no one under any circumstance ever is asking to be assaulted. And I I really like that you brought up that if an abuser is manipulating you sexually, then of course they're not going, they're going to be manipulating you in other ways in smaller ways like staying out later or being in someone's room and I think that that really brings up this I feel like a lot of survivors struggle because they they feel like oh well I was making choices up to this point and then after this point is when things kind of got out of my control and I think that they feel confused about that because they're like I don't really know how I got in this situation but I did. Um, and I think that you pointed out that if someone is being manipulative and abusive, it doesn't just start when they don't accept no, when they don't ask for consent or things like that. It starts much sooner than that. Right. And that took me a long time to realize, a, a very long time, because for years after I was still blaming myself and I I still didn't understand that it wasn't my fault and it's it's like you said I had a hard time realizing well I just I had a I had a really hard time just with blaming myself for everything um and I do think like you said the the church and church schools with the honor code add a lot more myths to girls asking for it well girls or guys asking for it mm-hmm. um when that's that's just not the case ever but that took me a long time to figure out it wasn't it wasn't like I realized that after I got away from the guy I realized that through a lot of counseling and therapy and journaling and learning about what abusers do and how they manipulate people and all of that yeah so can you talk me through a little bit of that healing process that you've gone through um 
like how you mentioned you've been to therapy, you've done a lot of journaling and understanding where abusers are coming from. So at what point did you feel like you were ready to go into therapy and to talk about this? So I wasn't ready for a very long time. About five years after, after the fact, I just still couldn't stop like, flashing back to it in my head. And I felt I was really mean to myself. And I think that that stemmed from blaming myself for what happened. Mm-hmm. But it spread to my whole life. And so as the years went on that I didn't talk about it and I didn't heal from it and I I wasn't even looking at it through the right lens because I didn't understand it. That just got worse and worse and worse where I was very mean to myself and I was anxious and I would be very easily upset. But I think that it really all came from that. And deep down, I think that I knew that was an issue I had to work through. But I was still pretty scared to do it. Um, So I ended up going to therapy first and basically telling my therapist, oh, I'm just here because I'm anxious. Like, I didn't tell her the underlying issues. Mm -hmm. And we actually met for about four months before I I was even willing to talk about it. And the whole process was about a year of talking, talking through everything mm-hmm. with my therapist and then a lot of work outside of that, a lot of my own work of forcing myself to go back to the, the feelings and thoughts that I had, a ton of journaling about like, okay, what happened? What do I tell myself about what happened and what is actually true about what happened? Hmm, yeah, that was that was the most helpful thing for me. So you know what what happened? Well, I'm not going to go into super detail, but just overall, like what happened? Okay, I was sexually abused. What do I tell myself about that? I was telling myself that I was weak, that I was stupid, that I was wrong, um, that I was dirty, and so many other really bad things and then what is the truth well the truth is I was manipulated I was taken advantage of and I was abused which took me a long time to even be able to admit because I had some idea in my head like oh well I'm not like I'm not a victim I I'm not like that I'm not gonna blame it on that you know, I, I don't want to make excuses, mm-hmm. but that really is what happened. And so I had to go through that whole process over and over and over and over again to make the story right in my head, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, and so where do you feel like you are now with it? Like, do you feel like you can you can really see what truly happened more than you can see what you were telling yourself for all those years? Yeah, I'm in a lot better of a place now. I still don't love to talk about it, but I'm willing to, which is huge. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and I I don't blame myself. I think it's sad. And I went through like a almost a grieving process for that girl, that my my eighteen year old self. Just realizing what really happened to me. Um it hurt a lot to admit it. And and I think that blaming myself was actually also some sort of um, like self-preservation hmm. because the truth was too horrific to face for so long. Yeah. Um, but now I'm good. It's, it's sad, but I, I don't, I don't think about it very often. I remember in one of my appointments with my therapist, I was, I was just devastated. (laughs) And I was crying and telling her, like, how am I going to get over this? And she told me, one day, you're going to think about it. And it will surprise you because you haven't, you haven't thought about it in so long. It will feel like a dream. It will feel like something that almost didn't even happen to you. And I just remember telling her, like, that doesn't, I don't believe you. That doesn't feel possible. But it is. And it was. And, and I do feel like maybe I'm not totally at that point yet where it doesn't, it almost doesn't even feel like it happened to me. But when I am reminded of it, I think, wow, I haven't thought about this in a long time, Hmm. which is amazing because before I went through that healing process, it was every day. Every day I I couldn't get through the day without going back to it. So how did you initially respond to the Me Too movement? Like, what do you, what do you remember seeing on Facebook and, um, and things like that about the Me Too movement? I remember posting the Me Too thing. And I remember being really pretty nervous to post. All I did was, like, share a picture that said Me Too. I, I didn't go into any sort of detail. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, oh, like, people don't know this about me. Like, I was, I was nervous to, you get what I'm saying? I was nervous to post that. Yeah. Because I was like, people are going to wonder because, I, like, no one knows this about me. Mm-hmm. And then what kind of responses did you get after you posted that? Actually, no one replied. <laughs> and it, it actually, mm, I was kind of bummed. Huh. Because I was nervous to post. And, again, I didn't. I didn't say anything necessarily personal or detailed at all when I shared that picture. I think I shared a quote from a book that I really like um, that kind of went along with it. But no one commented or messaged me or asked me about it. And that part of it actually made me feel more alone because 
I was like all excited about this this movement of oh my goodness, people are talking about this. Like I'm not alone. And then I post it, and I'm like, oh, apparently I am at least in my friend group or in the people that I know. Hmm. Wow, that's really that, hard. Maybe that's not helpful. No, <laughs> it totally is helpful. Because I think that, like anything, it can be very isolating. Like, if you're not, like, if if something is doing good at a grand scale, but at an individual level, it's not helpful, then it's not helpful to you. Like, like that is a completely valid response to the Me Too movement. Um, I think that on a grand scale, it did do so much good. And later, it did affect me in a positive way. So... I have an example. Yeah. Is that okay? Can Mm -hmm. I share an example? Yeah, totally. Okay, so I was at a conference for work at the beginning of this year. And this was still right, right in the middle of me going through this healing process. And at this work conference, we had a seminar. And... I work in the hospitality industry, and this seminar was put on by a company um, which raises awareness for sexual abuse against children, and just seeing the signs of that in, like, public places, and basically, it was just a seminar to help people, to help educate people who work around kids to be able to look for certain signs and and be able to report anything unusual. Mm -hmm. Does does that make sense? Yeah. So the thing is, um, this was just right in the middle of me going through everything, going through my healing process. And so we started talking about sexual abuse and it just, it just triggered me. I, I didn't want it to right then. I was, I was there for work, but I just, I started crying, and I had to step out, and I stepped out, and I got, I got some fresh air, tried to calm down for, like, 20 minutes, but then one of my coworkers came out and found me, and she, she put her arm around my shoulder, and she said, how old were you? And I said, well, I wasn't a kid, like they talked about. Well, I was 18, and she said I was six, and she cried, and she just hugged me, and she said, like, I understand, and we went back in, and the other coworker looked over at me, and she said, are you good, and I said, yeah, I'm okay, and she said, hey, me too, and she kind of put her arm around me and gave me a little hug, and that made me feel so much stronger and I'm, I'm not sure that that experience would have happened without the Me Too movement that was you know two years before that a year and a half before that right I don't think that I, I don't think that people were that open about it mm-hmm. yeah so even at your workplace like the conversation has kind of changed around how do we talk to each other about sexual assault that we've each been through that's really interesting right yeah and you know we didn't we didn't swap stories 
it was just, it was really simple. Both of them, they just put the arm around me and said, hey, me too. And it was just a moment that really, really strengthened me and helped me feel not alone. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that really captures like the feeling behind the Me Too movement that it's really all about solidarity for survivors and awareness for people who maybe don't know what a prevalent issue this is for people of all genders. So I think that that totally captures that just like the looking over and the connection that you can have with other people, whether it's on the internet or in person. Like I think that it's it's a very expansive it's a yeah, very expansive movement in that way. Yeah. Um so I'm just going to try to connect these these things that we've talked about with the honor code and um with sexual assault. Um so you talked about how the honor code just kind of made your shame worse and things like that. Um so with those things in mind, like, do you feel that BYU is a safe place for sexual assault survivors? I haven't attended BYU since the stories and I, you know, I, something, right, something's changed. I don't know. I read the statement they put out. I thought it was kind of lame on their part, half-hearted. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, if things have actually started changing, then maybe. But from my experience, I would say no. Well, I just think about when I was there. I didn't tell anyone what happened to me. And it was because I told myself, and I do think it would have happened, oh, well, I'm going to get kicked out. Because if I tell them what happened, they're going to ask, oh, well, when was this? Well, it was after curfew. Where was this? Well, it happened more than once, but, you know, in his dorm room, in his room at home, where, according to the honor code, I I wasn't supposed to be. And so I didn't report it because, well, first of all, I thought it was my fault because I had made, you know, I, oh, I stayed out past curfew and I went in his room. So I thought it was my fault, and I thought if I tell anyone... I'm going to get kicked out of school. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what they could do to change that culture, but that is not okay. I guess just like immunity from stuff like that. Or like if I, if, if someone does go to report it and they have also broken the honor code, but like, like, minor things, like, staying out past curfew is not the same as raping someone. And so, both parties shouldn't be kicked out of school. Right. I don't think that whoever reports it should be penalized because, again, how much of that was even their choice? It, at least in my case, I was manipulated into many of those situations, mm-hmm. and yet I would have been punished if the honor code office found out.
So you just heard about some changes that Sarah wants to see at BYU. Most of all, she wants students to have immunity for honor code violations and situations of sexual assault. In the time since Sarah left BYU about four years ago, BYU has actually changed the way it handles sexual assault cases. Immunity protects survivors from being penalized for breaking the honor code at the time of their sexual assault. Next time, we're going to talk about those types of changes and what led to them. We're also going to hear from Tiffany Turley, the Title IX coordinator at BYU. Special thanks to Abner Apsley for the music. This is BYU After Me Too. I'm Angela. <laughs>